and welcome to the Alternative Book Club podcast, the online spin-off from the Literary Comedy Night. I am your host, Shirley Hulse, and today, for a very special edition, we are joined ahead of his Radio 4 debut by comedian and self-titled benefit scum, Mr. Tom Mayhew. Hello, Tom. Hello, how are you doing? I'm very well. How are you? I'm good, thank you. I'm good. I'm I'm looking forward to being on this this podcast. It's the it's one of quite a few I've got lined up this week. So um, this is the first one. So I'm really excited for this one. And then if people listen to all the podcasts I'm on this week, you'll you'll hear the energy just drain and me get very tired. <laughs> no, I'm sure each podcast has its own kind of energy. I think. How are you feeling about the show going out? Excited. I'm I'm very excited. Also. Quite nervous, really, because it's a big thing, and I know a lot more people will hear it than have ever heard me ever before. Which is, it's yeah, it's a mix of excitement and fear, and real fear, but <laughs> but but mainly the excitement because it's so like it's so um, yeah, it's mad. It's such a good, awesome opportunity to be on the BBC. But I also know there's a lots of muppets who might not like me, so it's it's going to be interesting. I think there's more nice people than bad people, so there we go. That should be all right. Yeah, I think that's a, a good rule to live by generally, is that there are more good people than bad people. Do you want to introduce what the show is about? It's it's about my time on benefits when I left school. I had to sign on for about three years. And the show's kind of about my experience of the benefit system and also about the stigmatisation of working class people and poor people and people on benefits and kind of offering an alternative to the narrative that everyone on benefits is scum i mean you know the whole idea of the title is that it's kind of incongruous the idea that someone can be benefit scum while also getting paid on a radio 4 series it doesn't really make sense and that's kind of my point is that most people on benefits are actually people who work hard and could do very well for themselves if given the right opportunities yeah absolutely i feel like often financially you can get very stuck and mm-hmm. I, I mean, I I don't have experience of being on benefits, so I, I'm the first person to put my hands up. But when I lived in London and I had a job, even that with everything that you have to pay for in London, it kind of gives you this kind of permanent anxiety. I don't know if you've felt this. Oh, for years, mate. Absolutely. <laughs> it's, it's, it's genuinely, I find it mad how like that's just accepted now. Mm. that probably about 80% of the population are literally living month to month, are constantly worried about money, constantly worried about the future, worried about where they're going to live. They work for 40 years and look back and they don't own anything and they've just spent 40 years struggling. And I'm just like, what is this? This shouldn't be how it is, man. It should be better than this. Mm, I absolutely agree. I remember I used to like cycle from Brixton to King's Cross just to save £1.50 on the bus fare. Oh, mate, there we go. It was just exhausting. I was not a very happy person. And now I don't live in London, so I feel a lot better. What do you think is the kind of key to a happy life? How do people escape from this kind of financial anxiety? Is it something that the government can do something about? Or is it something that people are forced to kind of change their own situations because the government's not giving any support? Well, the government can do something about it, but they don't want to. It's not in their interests. They don't care about the little people at the bottom. They care about their rich mates. So they they could easily solve a lot of problems with poverty and knife crime and people on benefits and people in dire circumstances very quickly, but they choose not to. That's because mm. we've had consistent governments from New Labour to the Tories 
who are kind of all self-serving in terms of helping businesses and helping rich people get richer and poor people get poorer. Like That doesn't happen accidentally. It's not like, oh, look, over 30 years, rich people are much richer and poor people are still at the same level. That's not an accident. That's a calculated thing they've done on purpose. Do you think that, because I sometimes wonder, I just think that some people are so distanced from what real life is like for the majority of people that maybe they just genuinely don't know. And I'm not trying to give them necessarily the benefit of the doubt, but I do wonder, like, you, you've got to be pretty pretty oblivious or a horrible person to cut off people's benefits because they can walk X metres or, you know, like things that, that we know that the government have done. I'm leaning towards them being horrible people. I, I, I oh. don't see why, you know, say we take someone like a Jacob Rees-Mogg who mm. has six children but doesn't change their nappies because he thinks it's a woman's job and says women are not able to have abortions, well, he thinks they shouldn't because it's against his religious beliefs. And it's like he's not going to starve people on benefits accidentally. He He's mm. clearly a bad person. Like, yeah. And the same with people like Boris Johnson. The same, there's enough of them, basically, for me to go, no, you know full well what you're doing. It's not a mistake. It's not an accident. You know what you're doing. You just don't yeah. care. Yeah. Okay. That's a very excellent point, And I think you've won me over there. <laughs> but people are also out of touch. I think I'm just thinking because I have a weird background in that we didn't have like lots growing up and stuff. And and it was fine, and my mum provided for us, and we got by. And then I went to Oxford University, and that's really changed, I don't know, I guess, how I feel about myself, my identity, and my trajectory, maybe, I, I don't know. I mean, I still live very close to where my mum lives, so hmm. I haven't really changed that much. But when I was at university, I used to date this guy who went to one of the very posh private schools in North London, and I was completely taken aback because he seemed to know everyone at this university whereas I knew one other person who was there Mm. and his family had a house in North London and he would think that he was poor because (laughs) because he didn't get to go to New York at the weekends like some of the other people at school and it was just just a crazy thing to think but I do think that people are like genuinely really misguided and they see the next stage up and they think they think that they're poor or they're not entitled because they see that but they don't see the privilege that they have perhaps yeah maybe privilege should be a lesson at school that would be a good idea wouldn't it <laughs> that would be really good what what do you think are good ways for people to think about the privilege that they that they do have just be aware of history and be aware of mm different people in society I think it's important to immerse yourself in particularly I find art whether it's like books Mm. or films or albums or video games whatever it is but things that reflect the experiences of other people and other cultures because that makes you far more aware of things Mm. like systematic racism and things like sexism and uh, transphobia and homophobia and all these things because you've You've heard people talk about their real experiences and Mm. often a lot of people just don't do that 
and they think, oh, everything else is fine because my life's fine, and they're just oblivious, and that's where people get to be quite ignorant, and often those people tend to be the ones who end up in charge. Yeah, that's a sad way of things. The rest of us are like reading our books or uh, studying or or doing whatever, listening to music, Hmm. and they're just stabbing each other in the back. Oh, mate, I've just remembered a thing where Theresa May was Prime Minister, and she went to a pub, and there was a video of her and they were trying to get her to play pool to to look like a human being. And uh, honestly, she looked at like a pool cue and the pool table as if someone had just given her like an apple that was made out of shit. She had no idea <laughs> what it was for. She had no idea where it came from. She was like, what is this alien object? And I was like, how are you in like your 50s? You don't know what a pool table is. What's, what's wrong with you? Yeah. What do I do with the balls? Throw them? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's the goal. Yeah. <laughs> oh god yeah I mean she's not really she's definitely an easy well they're all kind of easy cases to laugh at like she did that robot dance she very much seemed like robotic and like she didn't care hmm. I was wondering if if you were given an hour to talk to one of these top leaders a what you would say and b whether you think that there's anything that you could say God, this is undermining my question. Anything that you could say that, that would make them listen? I, and it's depressing to say this, but I don't think they will listen because I think they only listen to their own needs and their own wants. And that's what they've done for their entire lives. That's what mm. they do in their relationships. That's what they do in their business dealings. And that's what they do in their personal lives. So I don't see why them talking to a guy they've never met is going to make them give a shit. Like, honestly, I... I a big thing for me was when Boris Johnson was allegedly, and I'm saying allegedly because I don't trust a thing he says, but he was allegedly almost dead from COVID in hospital. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm. And he said, oh, the NHS staff thanked me. But then he still comes out of hospital and he's still going to put through things that privatise the NHS. And mm. I'm like, if that's not your Scrooge moment where you come out and... <laughs> You know, go, I was wrong, I'm going to be a good person. If that's not your moment, then you're never going to have that moment. I'm sorry. Oh, my God. Yeah. The same with, you know, Trump when he had COVID uh, was still going around with no mask. It's like, you people, you're not going to learn. You don't want to learn, so you won't learn. It's as simple as that. God, that's really bleak, isn't it? Sorry, mate, is this supposed to be a comedy podcast? Well, yeah, I was just thinking. <laughs> uh, we'll talk about some, we'll talk about Winnie the Pooh a bit, maybe, to lighten the tone later on. <laughs> I was going to say, my mum's working on a COVID ward. She was working in a care home before she transferred over there. And within weeks, she caught it. And obviously, you see the news and you think, oh, okay, cool, we're clapping, right? But when your family are directly being involved in it as well, it just makes you more and more cynical. You're right, this is a comedy podcast. (laughs) But yeah, it's not reflecting well on them, but they don't seem to change any bad news they seem to just kind of say it's good news and it just seems a bit like 1984 like some kind of dystopian novel where they're like oh that thing that was bad like killing loads of people through negligence actually that's a good thing everyone does that like honestly i think 10 years ago i would have said how do people in north korea not question what they are being ruled by how do they not realize but now i'm like no there's there's so many people who will just believe it literally Mm. just I mean, there's so many people that will believe a Facebook post, whether there's any evidence or not. And it's so depressing because genuinely 
there will be people, probably not listeners to the podcast, but there will be people who are sitting at home today thinking like, actually, the government have done a great job despite all the overwhelming evidence. And, and mm. I don't think, I don't know, we can get through to those people. I don't, I don't know. I, I've lost a lot of faith in the world over the last year, I think. Well, I mean, it's definitely hard to keep morale up when you can't see most people and then you see some people like too much. Yeah, yeah, that's very interesting. I think I always think of my grandma as a very thoughtful, considerate person, but I know that she still buys the Daily Mail. The old lady who lives next door to us gets the Daily Mail delivered every day. It's bonkers. Like you say, I don't know how you can combat it. My, My grandparents were the same, but even people who don't read the Daily Mail, I know plenty of people who... They're just, their perception is warped by Facebook and by social media and by mm. misinformation on these these websites. And it's mad. It's absolutely mad. I mean, like genuinely, we're, we're, we're at the state of humanity where they kind of have to have proper discussions on the news about the fact that some people think a vaccine is going to put an implant mm. into your brain. <laughs> like, what, what, why, yeah. why? You're absolutely right. I was thinking the positive side, though, is that by having your show on Radio 4, like you said, you're going to reach so many more people than you ordinarily would. I think that your show is a way to change people's opinion, because if you can't go to the people in power and literally tell them these are the problems, this Mm. is what's going on. You can change people. Maybe that. Maybe that's really naive, but I, I'm certain that you can spread stories and information enough amongst the people. And if, if somehow you can get them to pay attention to that rather than to the little Facebook bubble, like you're saying, then you can affect change through voting and things. I hope so. I hope so. Like, I mean, attitudes do change, and society does change, and things do get better that's what is always important to remember like there's always dickheads in charge who will always do awful things Mm. but things do always seem to get better even if it takes decades do you know what I mean like if we just look at things like uh you know the state of equality in this country it's it's far better in many ways and I'm not just talking about you know the women's vote or you know racial inequality going down dramatically you know I'm talking about like Mm. yeah about 300 years ago or something if someone was disabled they just probably get thrown in the river and that was that literally like do you know what I mean and it it (laughs) sounds absurd now to say it but that was the reality and it's it's changed so much even though there's still some people who would uh (laughs) there's some people who are always trying to drag it backwards because yeah there's always reactionaries, there always will be. But it does feel like we are getting better, even if a lot of people are trying to stop it. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. I think we're... Yay! We mm. don't throw disabled people in the river. <laughs> that is such a step forward. Yeah, it is. Um, but I think we're, we're doing more than that now. And I think, actually, the louder the voices of just anger are, I think the, the more that's actually being done. Because people... I guess some people feel threatened by the fact that the world is more open now because they maybe their place in it is coming into question. Mm-hmm. And that's scary for a lot of people. But that does mean that there's more space for everyone to talk. And I don't know, my hope is that these people will either come round or eventually die. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they will eventually die. So that's the nice positive outcome we're going to get eventually. 
<laughs> yeah, it's a long wait, isn't it? <laughs> isn't there that thing about Brexit where enough people who voted for it now have died that it would be a re- remain vote now? I mean, there might be something like that. But then again, I'm I'm fully aware that the Tory party is still heading the polls at the moment. So I would not count on it. Mm. That is very true. And also people people talk about, you know, people who voted for Brexit in 2016, but also a lot of people effectively voted for Brexit in 2019 as well. So mm. pe- I think people need to remember that, sadly. Yeah. Yep, you're right. I feel a little bit naive. I have had a very brief foray into politics. Unfortunately, I live, I live in Cheltenham. I'm sure there are lots of things that you associate with Cheltenham, like it's very posh. Ponies. Uh, Ponies, yeah, the horse racing. Yeah, pony racing. That's Cheltenham, isn't yeah, it? It is all yeah, that's Cheltenham. It's um yeah, it's very weird. As with many posh areas, it's got really posh bits and pretty deprived bits. Similar to Oxford, similar to like London where you get like a fancy borough and then next door people are struggling to survive. Well that's what I find mad because I grew up and I still live in my parents' house in Hertfordshire. And that's got a reputation for being quite a posh area, and there are mm. some posh people about, definitely. But there's also council estates, there's also council houses, there's also people who work in shops who are getting seven quid an hour, do you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. it feels like everywhere in the country there's always this divide. So I don't know why more people aren't aware of it when you literally see it every day. Yeah, it's like they want to just kind of flatten it out. Yeah. The problem in my my area, I guess, is that the politics is either Liberal Democrats or Tories. So you have to kind of be tactical. I don't know if you find this, but I go through cycles where I really care about politics and then I just find it so overwhelming and so circular. I'm like, oh, I just can't handle yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, totally. I'm, I'm, I might just take five years off politics. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like your show, though, is quite political you're obviously raising clear social and political issues I was going to ask you about how the show kind of came to being so you said that it's obviously your lived experience but how did you kind of bring it together in the first place well I kind of I took a show to Edinburgh in 2017 and it didn't really go that well like I didn't preview it enough because I couldn't afford to do lots of previews and I couldn't get the time off work because I was working part-time in Sainsbury's and I literally put, oh, it was a hideous amount. It was like, I think it was at least 70% of my yearly income went into the Edinburgh run on its own. Like in terms of the previews and stuff, it was probably going to be more like 80 or 85. I've put so much of what I had into the show, but uh, mm. it was nowhere near enough because... Some people go to Edinburgh and they spend 10 grand in just August on their Edinburgh show, whereas I was working a job that paid me like nine grand a year. So literally, like I couldn't compete mm-hmm. and I took a show to Edinburgh and it wasn't finished when I got there and it lost me a lot of money and that made me feel very dejected and I, I did feel like I had stuff to say and I felt like I had value as a writer and as a comedian, but that I had been overlooked because I didn't have rich parents, effectively. Do you know what I mean? So so that kind of really depressing failure, eventually I put that into my next show two years later, which I I thought, right, well, let's directly make this about, you know, your upbringing and your experience of being on benefits in in 2010, because there was 
you know, millions of young people who were employed for a long time back then, and it's going to happen again. Um, like I read um, someone said the other day about the forgotten generation, but apparently that's people who are 18 now, and I'm like, well, what about the forgotten generation before? You've, They've forgotten them already. You've forgot, you forgotten the forgotten generation because there's a new forgotten generation. <laughs> and it's like, and yeah, and I just wanted to write about that because I didn't see it anywhere. I didn't see anyone on telly in my age group who was talking about this stuff. You don't see many people, even now in the media, talking about being in your sort of um, mid to late 20s and living with your parents. But that's that's the reality for lots of us. You know, most people I know are in that situation. And it's mad. It's mad that there's a situation where a whole generation cannot afford to buy housing, even though their parents would have been able to afford housing. And they've got the same jobs. They work the same hours, but they can't afford to buy the house. And that wasn't even mentioned in the run-up to a general election. And it just feels like we're consistently getting ignored. And I think a lot of people are angry. Yeah, absolutely. I um, saw one of the previews for your show, as in the ones that you did online very recently. And what I was really struck by was that you said your girlfriend had lent you some money to take the show up there. And that's what you need to do to compete, right, with those massive shows that have the budget. And it made complete sense because I think if you're wealthy, you can get to stuff quicker. Because like like you say, going up in 2017, it just takes longer, doesn't it, to learn all of those things. Whereas if you have money, it kind of eases that. And the other thing about money is it kind of allows you to take those risks. And that's so valuable and it's so important that people like yourself, other voices that we we don't hear about, are able to take those risks because otherwise they're lost or you give up, like you said. It's obviously really depressing to not have immediate success, especially in Edinburgh where you can see people who've got money. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, it's depressing really. (laughs) Um, But Mm. like so much of the things in society, they are who you know and helping out your mates. Like we see that with... In a large scale, we see that with all the contracts handed out by the mm. Tory party during the pandemic, where it literally is, he's my neighbour, so I'll give it to him. It's not It's not even going, who's best for the job? It's going, who do I want to help? It, are they qualified? Don't worry about that question. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's not even like sometimes you miss out because you're not good enough, because sometimes it's not even done on whether you're good enough. It's done on mm. if they already know you and if they already like you. And, you know, it's a strange thing where I imagine there might be some people who would think, ah, that guy's got a Radio 4 show because maybe that's a quota thing. Maybe that's because he's working class. Maybe because he's been on benefits. That's why he's got it. Do you know what I mean? But then there's also people who would not give me work because they'd go, no, I don't like him because I don't get it. I'm middle class. That doesn't appeal to me. It doesn't resonate with me. So I'm not going to hire him. So it, it can work both ways. But generally, money helps a lot, you know, because that's the thing. Rich people never sign on. They don't have to. Mm. (laughs) As as simple as that, that they're fine. Whereas people at the bottom are the ones who do have to sign on and the ones who do have to work really, really tough jobs, really hard jobs, Mm. which society goes, oh, they're easy. They're not. They're bloody difficult. Like, in terms of your mental health and the monotony of doing it and getting so little reward and doing the same thing every day. Mm. They're tough. They're bloody tough jobs. And we are stuck in this idea of meritocracy where people think, oh, no, but the the world's all about, you know, if you work hard, you'll be successful. 
you do have to work hard to be successful, but at the same time, you know, it's like there's there's people with different vehicles. It's like a Formula One race where, like, literally, yeah, that, that's actually a decent analogy. Like, Formula One, right? Like, so Lewis Hamilton wins all the time because he's in the Mercedes, which is the fastest car. Mm. But he couldn't do a race last year. So in his place, they got a guy called George Russell who drives for Williams. Now, at Williams, he had driven about, I think at that point, about 16 races, and he never finished above 11th place. So, you know, you'd go, oh, he's not getting any points, so he's not very good at driving. But then he was Mm. in the Mercedes for one race, and he was leading. And if the car didn't malfunction, he would have won the race. Oh, my God. And it's like, it's not got anything to do with his talent as a driver. It's just, what Mm. car are you in? And in a way, a lot of the world is like that. You know, it's not always the most talented people who who rise to the top or who are successful. It's the people who were given the opportunities and the people who have the contacts. You know, because you're always going to be ahead. You'll always be ahead if you you have a lot of money because money talks in so many industries. (laughs) Yeah. Again, it's depressing. I should highlight that. I heard you do the run-through of the show and it is really, really funny. But I do think it's really important and I actually think that was a really great analogy and I think you also make a similar point in the show where you show it's not a level playing field. Obviously, you took the show to Edinburgh and it was a massive success. And then to the Soho Theatre in London. How have you felt about it, adapting it for radio? and How much have you changed, I guess? We've changed a decent chunk of it. Like, I'd say the whole of episode two is entirely different from what it would have been at Edinburgh and at the Soho Theatre. I'd say that there's bits in episode three where we've watered it down a lot. We've changed bits of it and when it goes out on the radio there's little sketches and little interviews so we've made use of the format in a way that we're happy with because I didn't Mm. want to just do here's my stand-up for an hour. I wanted to do something a bit different which you can do on radio so you, you may as well. Why would you why would you not? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. It sounds like a really cool opportunity. What do you mean by watered down? I'm really interested by that. Uh, well, like there were some bits that were darker and more explicit in the live show that we didn't feel would work in like 15 minute long episodes, basically. Mm. Do you feel like the the kind of perception of the different audiences there had an impact? Because obviously the the radio for audience is like, I don't know, you kind of say it in quotations because there's a certain perception of, of what that audience is. I don't think so, you know. I, I don't think we did that. I didn't change any of the show because I wanted it to still have that same essence of hmm. the fact that it was for people like me and it was for people who've been through similar experiences as me. And actually, you know, I think there were a fair chunk of people who were either on benefits or working class or both who were in the virtual audience of the recording. So I, I dare say there might be some people who never listened to Radio 4 before who will, who will find the show and listen to it. And, um, you know, there'll be some Radio 4 listeners who won't like it. But, then, I mean, generally, you know, I know there is a kind of stereotype of Radio 4 audiences being quite, you know, posh. Mm. But I also feel like there is a stereotype of Radio 4 audiences being open-minded and being, mm. you know, intelligent. Typically, if you look at the demographics, they're probably people who are, you know, more likely to be left-leaning, more likely to be open to 
hearing shows by people from different backgrounds and different ideas. Mm. So I'd, I'd like to think they would still find it funny. I guess a lot of Radio Force content is the same thing that you were saying at the beginning, that you can read in books or listen to music and experience kind of other people's lives. I think it's really interesting because there is that kind of what you say, like stereotype of um, Radio 4 audiences. But I listened to Radio 4 the most when I was growing up. And that was because we didn't have a television. Mm. So that was like our only source of entertainment. That was interesting that you said that you watered it down because I saw in the Radio Times a little description of your show. Mm. And it said that the best way um, that you you've decided to tackle the less advantageous hand that life has dealt you which is such a like polite uh, way of putting things and maybe a radio for way of distancing themselves from the reality yeah. um, is to not get too angry about it yeah how angry do you feel about it and do you tone it down do you think actually it's better to talk through these problems you have to feel the level of anger when you see what people are going through and what people have been forced to go through mm. when it's entirely unnecessary there is kind of a just a base level of anger really at your state of the world so that you're like god we're in 2021 and there's still this shit going on but like mm. but also I think it's important to laugh at these things and it's important to laugh at dark moments and sad times and mm. I just think it's good to take the piss really sometimes when you can like I think uh some of the best things in art or when it's kind of combining something really serious with something really silly and that's mm. a good thing to strive for and um yeah I think that can help people feel less sort of alone that's absolutely my favorite kind of comedy and I think again you do this really well in the show there's clearly like anger and frustration under the surface but you're also really kind and accepting especially about maybe relatives that have different viewpoints to you and online there's so much anger isn't there and there's a kind of like useful anger that kind of fuels you to do something to make something creative and then there's just this really thoughtless anger that just comes from not being able to do anything and I guess it's maybe drawing the line there, seeing what the difference is and, and using your anger to try and understand, maybe? I don't I don't know. Well, I feel like anger is like necessary at times. And I think most of the time I'm angry, it's when I'm angry at a form of injustice. And I feel that most people should be angry at things like that. We should be a much fairer society that treats people better, like so much better. Mm. And that's you know, the main thing I would get angry at. But at the same time, I, I think a lot of people can get very drawn into hating someone because of the fact they vote for something differently to you, which mm. I think is not always healthy and not always sensible. And I always just feel like you wouldn't do it with anything else, would you? You wouldn't have someone go like, oh, God, Joe McElfrey's third album is not very good. Well, don't blame me. I voted for Ronnie Murs. You don't... <laughs> You don't have that. Like people vote for something and then they get, then they move on. They don't still yeah. fixate on these results in reality. Like, I mean, maybe some people might still get annoyed about Will Young and Gareth Gates. I don't know, but like, <laughs> old school. Like at the end of the day, like it doesn't actually define who you are, and it doesn't actually matter what you voted for. Like, because what happens happens, and I'd rather uh, the people at the top were held accountable than the people at the bottom shouting at each other in a pub. I think psychologically, if you take an opposite view to someone and you kind of have an argument like a yes, no, no, yes, blah, 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 
you're more inclined to stick to your original beliefs. Whereas if you're open to learning and trying to understand someone else's viewpoint, I'm conscious of the time. I actually do want to ask you a question about books. Okay. So we are the Alt Book Club podcast. What is your favourite book? Oh, my favourite book is probably Winnie the Pooh, which is so fundamentally different from the rest of this <laughs> podcast. I'm fully aware. <laughs> but like, yeah, I just remember... Uh, fond memories of my mum reading it to me growing up mm-hmm. and I really love the cartoons and I love the way it's written and I think it's always structured very interestingly in like the actual way the, the books are printed mm. and just it's like I really hate snobbishness and I feel like there's a lot of snobbishness around comedy and around the arts but sometimes you need something that's just simple and pure and there's no kind of real serious tension it's all very light and very nice and I think sometimes you need to escape to that because otherwise um, you'll you'll go mad yeah and it's a kind of like nostalgia and it's about helping your friends out and working together I absolutely agree with you and I I feel like literature just like comedy has the same kind of snobbishness and this highbrow versus lowbrow culture, which is absolute bullshit. All the stuff that we hold up as this highbrow culture is just as weird and stupid and often just creepy Hmm. um, as anything else. So I absolutely agree. And I think that, I don't know, it's important to have something that you go back to sometimes. Yeah. Even if it's like a child's book. I love the kids' book, Oi Frog. Have you ever heard yeah, of it? Yeah, I have, yeah. Oh, it's the fucking best. <laughs> love doing all the voices. And not even when there's children around, I'll just repeat it to myself. Well, that is, that's a video I want to watch very soon. <laughs> this is why I'm having a baby, clearly. <laughs> just as an excuse. You've played the long game. <laughs> yeah. I was really bored during lockdown, so I needed an audience. <laughs> uh, I thought I'd do a... Build your own. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us, Tom. Can you tell us where to find you online? And also, can you give us the dates for the show? I am on Twitter and YouTube and Facebook. Just type in Tom Mayhew. It's all there. It's all under my name. I'm quite lucky that there aren't (laughs) many other Tom Mayhew, so it's fairly easy to find if you just write Tom Mayhew and then maybe the word comedy afterwards. My show is on March the 3rd at 11pm on Radio 4 and then there's four episodes every Wednesday after that. Brilliant, thank you so much. And if you want to find Alt Book Club, we are at Alt Book Club on Facebook. Thank you very much to you for listening and goodbye. Goodbye.